This is the Agile Thoughts Podcast, and I'm Lance Kind. Say, 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 say. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight, the main event. Let's get ready to scale Agile. Come on, Dad. Let's go get him, Dad. Come on, Dad. You've been working really hard. You've been working out every day. You're so disciplined, Dad. Let's go, Dad. Go in the ring. Get him, Dad. Less is more. Less is more. Less is more. You get in there and you beat him to a pulp, Mom. We catch up with Craig Larman doing a talk at Beyond Agile, a meetup in the Seattle area. Here, Craig gives us some insight into how the Agile Manifesto was developed. Adaptive software development. Jim Highsmith, one of the founders of our movement. And uh, so Jim was in this discussion about name. And uh, Jim's book, Adaptive Software Development, was very influential for a lot of us uh, back in the 90s. And uh, so Jim's book was called that. Jim's company was called Adaptive Software Development. And Jim's approach was called Adaptive Software Development. So what word do you think Jim suggested. <laughs> Software? Yeah, exactly. So Jim suggested adaptive. So that got on the voting list. Uh, Mike Beadle was also there. Mike was the uh, co-author <coughs> of the first book on Scrum with Ken, Agile Software Development. see his name there, Mike Beadle. So Mike was there. He was just murdered a couple of weeks ago in Chicago, by the way. And um, Mike uh, had read a paper uh, called American Agile Manufacturing in the early 1990s. And so he kind of liked uh, that name. And so that got added to the list. And a few more were added. And then there was voting. Now, a historical point that not very many people know is the following. That because most of the people at the group were self-employed consultants, they had the following thought. If we vote for the word adaptive, Jim's going to get all the business. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason why the word agile got a few more votes than the word adaptive is out of the selfish desire by all the coaches that Jim wouldn't get all the business. And that's how we got to where we are today. Uh, And it could have easily been the case that your meetup group was called Adaptive Seattle or whatever instead of Agile Adaptive. What's that? What did you vote for? Oh, I I ended up not being there. So uh, a week before I was due to go, uh, I was chief scientist of a company based in Paris. And they said, you have to come uh, to this uh, big thing in Paris. So I had to skip it at the last minute. But anyways, um, the key point is is that this could have been the word. 
But there's a, a deeper point that I want to make. Another word, by the way, that was on the list was flexible. And I want you to notice that the choice of words that the group was making, that none of these words implied fast, none of these words implied productive or efficient, none of these words implied value, uh, none of these words implied quality. The, most of the people in the group knew very clearly what they were trying to say. And they weren't, they were, weren't trying to say that XP, Scrum, etc. were for this, but it was for something else. What is that something else they were trying to say? And really Kent Beck uh, laid this out very well in his uh, extremely influential book, which I urge you to read if you haven't understood where people were coming from in starting this movement, which is Extreme Programming Explained, especially the first edition where he, he lays this out very clearly. And what we were trying to suggest <clears throat> is, uh, I think something is very clear to you all, but in a way is worth really spelling out. And that is that <clears throat> there's these sort of two basic approaches to thinking about product development. One we could call plan, speculate, execute. And this is based upon the often unexamined assumption that we can know, that we can speculate something <laughs> with relative confidence and therefore plan and execute based upon it. And the unexamined assumption underneath this is that uh, we can know. And what we were trying to suggest in the 1990s is something different, uh, what you might call uh, the scientific method uh, applied to business. That rather than the assumption that we can know, we start from the position of um, a kind of intellectual humility I don't mean emotional humidity, a lot of us are assholes, uh, but a kind of intellectual humidity where we admit that we don't know uh, what the customer really wants and that speculation about it could well miss the mark. So we need an approach of uh, hypothesis, experiment, feedback, adaptation in product development. In other words, a loop-based system and you all get that. But there's a, a couple of points that might not be so clear to you that I want to tease out here. So the first of these is that um, this assumes that, of course, that change is intrinsically high and that learning uh, is intrinsically high. Yeah, that turns out to be relevant once we start talking about uh, descaling. So now, what uh, Kent laid out, and this is a key point a lot of us were trying to share in the 90s. Move that word up. What Kent laid out in XP Explained, you could kind of say is the following idea, that if we agree that a scientific method in business is desirable, that we're going to take this path of intellectual community where we say, we don't know. Uh, we need to create a feedback loop. 
that if that's true, that if therefore as a corollary we have a loop-based system, that we have to reduce the friction of running this loop. If running this loop is costly or fussy, then the system's gonna fall apart. And then creating a scientific method approach to business, there's gonna be friction around running that way. I'm just paraphrasing what Kent laid out. And if, therefore, you ask the question, what makes a loop-based system uh, have friction from a, if you have a background in process theory, uh, one is called the transaction cost of the process cycle. This is just all of the activity, the overhead of completing a process cycle. A trivial uh, extreme example would be, I know you're all quite young so you probably haven't heard of this, but back in the 1970s we used to do this thing called um, manual testing, where <laughs> humans would actually interact with a computer to test it. And so in this old 1970s approach, the uh, effort to complete a process cycle had a lot of overhead related to this thing called manual testing. Uh, another source of friction is the cost of change the cost of changing in an unanticipated direction. So, as run as a thought experiment, the group takes a step in some direction, and then there's some learning so that uh, somebody says, stop everything and change in the direction you didn't anticipate before. <coughs> How costly is that in terms of effort, time, etc.? And what Kent was laying out is that these are the two things you have to pay attention to if we want a loop-based system where we can have a scientific method in business. This is all, you know, really introductory stuff, but I want to connect some really basic dots here. So, this then uh, leads to An interesting question. Imagine that your entire product group is seven people in a room. So your whole commercial product, everybody you need, is just seven people in a room. And then, in that case, if I ask the question, what are the factors that will influence the transaction cost and the cost of change? Because these are the things that support the ability to be adaptive or be agile, to connect it to the slides that I'm talking about. I'm talking about what does it mean to be agile. It means to be adaptive. To be adaptive means that these have to be low. So if we ask the question, in the case of that one team of seven people in one room, what are the factors that influence that? I suggest to you it'll be these kinds of things. It'll be the native IQ of the people, their uh, psychological health, both individually and to work together, their education, uh, their, the tools that they have, both physical and digital, the 
techniques that uh, they use. And that if you can improve these things, then you can significantly, with, at a first order effect, influence the transaction costs and the cost of change. But now let me give you a different scenario, because that's not the world I work in. My world might be more like 700 people on a single product. And imagine, just as a thought experiment, they were organized into seven cities in seven groups, each city group having 100 people, and they're organized like this. The first city, 100 UX analysts and HI designers. The second city, a hundred business analysts and specifiers. The third city, a hundred architects. The fourth city, a hundred front-end programmers. City five, mid-tier programmers. City six, back-end programmers. City seven, a hundred testers. Now, many of the organizations that I've come into over the decades, some variation of that is the original organizational design. Now, in that context, if you go to any one of the groups, City 2, the business analysts, or City 4, and the uh, front-end programmers, and you go to the front-end programmers, and you add all the love in the room that you can imagine, conscious management, highly motivated, the world's greatest tools and techniques, it will do fuck all to improve the system. <laughs> it will be like rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. So you can, I can quickly spot someone who understands what descaling is really about if they're focused on this kind of trivial third order influences at the level that I'm talking about versus focusing on what is a first-order factor at that level, and that is structure. And in the world of large, the to frame it in terms kind of algebraic terms, the first-order factors, 10 or 100 times more influential than these, which will be second and third order, the first-order factors are structural. And unless you fix structure, you're just pissing in the wind. So to frame it in terms of this discussion, that at the large scale, the first order factors that are going to influence transaction costs and cost of change are structural. Those other elements are virtually third order. And so we need to focus there first if we want to be agile rather than do agile. Are you interested in learning the fundamentals of scaling Scrum across your enterprise? Are you doing Scrum but unsure how to be effective when product development requires many teams? The business novel, Agile Grande, will teach you these skills through dramatic storytelling. The following concepts are covered. Scaling Scrum, systems thinking, organizational design, systems modeling, and how to develop a transformation plan for you and your organization. You can get a pre-release copy of Agile Grande for free at leanpub.com. The link is in the show notes.
Next episode, Craig Larman introduces large-scale scrum. Less. What less is about at a high level is descaling the organizational complexity by deleting and eliminating almost all of the existing structures.